All right, last week we started in, uh, in Ecclesiastes, and uh, it, was, uh, it was pretty depressing. I hope you uh, feel that. Anyone read any of Ecclesiastes this week? Anyone decide to dip their toes into the water? A couple? Most of you are just too depressed. If I'm just going straight to the Psalms, thanks Matt, I'll be fine. That's all right, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll work our way there. Uh, it's um, it's going to get worse. So we're going to... Um, Come on, we're, we're going we're gonna to trek along for another uh, period of weeks. I won't tell you how long, just so that if you don't like Ecclesiastes, you won't know when to come back. So we're going to spend a bit more time in there. Uh, Solomon talks about a, um, a number of topics that we'd really love to cover off. We think it's really helpful. We think Ecclesiastes is God's word to us and that, um, we, can, uh, we can find a lot of encouragement in it. Um, let me just quickly recap on, uh, on last week. So... Just to set the scene is the preacher, uh, Solomon, at the end of his life, just reflecting over uh, his life and, and what had been. And, uh, and, you know, what do you expect him to say? The wisest man, 700 wives, 300 concubines, you know, countless wealth, position, power, authority, and empire. And, you know, you're kind of looking at your life and what do you expect? You expect, well, that was pretty good. That was nice. Like, we had a good time, didn't we? It's like, no, 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 he's <laughs> meaningless. You know, it's, it's worthless, all of it. There's, there's no amount of money. There's no amount of uh, power. There's no amount of wealth that you can have that's going to sustain you. Let's read uh, verse 2 of the first chapter. So the first verse, chapter 1, verse 1, is just a, really a preface, just a really simple introduction uh, verse 2, he starts, he starts in it, and listen to him. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. So, five times, get the point, right? Like, you could just, he literally, I don't think he could have verbally fit the word into the sentence any more than he did. So the point, it's all vanity, right? Ecclesiastes, just so it's really clear, toil under the sun. He says after that, what does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? So the preacher has given a decisive blow, like it couldn't be more obvious, a decisive blow to toil under the sun. Anything, any of your toil and your efforts under the sun is meaningless. So moving forward, uh, our aim is to kind of have a look, uh, because if you have a look at Ecclesiastes, most of the time, not all the time, most of the time he's talking about good things. So our aim is to try and deconstruct that, because how are you going to get around it? Like, if he's talking about wealth, does that just mean money's bad? No, it doesn't. It just means it, it's a little more work uh, to understand it. So I trust that, um, I trust that you're going to join us. It's more work than normal, right? Like you kind of look at a book like Ecclesiastes, you just, you know, it's a little bit harder to grapple with than most books. So I trust that you'd be willing to do the work with us. And on that note, we're talking about work. So, uh, Let's start with Ecclesiastes chapter 2. That'll be where we're um, spending most of our time today. So if you've got a Bible, open it up to chapter 2 verse 18 and we'll, um, I will read there. I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he'll be wise or a fool, yet he will be master of all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun. 
because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who didn't toil for it. It's like, that's not fair. This also is vanity and a great evil. What is a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? If uh, it's not working for me, uh, could you just hit next up there, Jay? For all his days are full of sorrow and his work is a vexation. Even in the night, yep, just back one. Even in the night, his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. There is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting only to give to one who pleases God. This also is vanity and a striving after the wind. You probably can see a few contradictions there. Like if you look carefully enough, a few verses in and a few verses down, they're they're kind of intention. So we're going to navigate some of that. But let me start. We're just going to start by understanding the current uh, climate for work or the current cultural understanding of work. And then I'm going to give you four four thoughts from the preacher. Encouragements, I hope, but um, we'll see how you take them. So what is our understanding of work? Let me... um, let me give you a few uh, stories um, from a, uh, an article that was written last year. In Melbourne, Ashley McInnes returns home after an 11-hour working day, bringing with her my Ultrabook computer and USB. She obviously hasn't heard of the cloud. We will make dinner and then do some further work before taking her laptop to bed with her. It's a bad habit, but if I stir during the night, I check my emails. But... I'm worried if I focus too much on my emails, then the light on my phone stays on and it's harder to get to sleep. Stating the obvious, said the 28-year-old who works in PR. Her work hours, which bleed across time zones, are in excess of 65 hours a week. Let me give you a few statistics from the ABS. Uh, So 7.7 million full-time workers in Australia and uh, 5 million of those do more than 40 hours per week. Of them... Uh, 1.4 million put in more than 50 hours a week and around 270,000 do more than 70 hours per week. So if you, um, you kind of crunch some numbers, a fifth of full-time workers put in more than 50 hours a week. Following on a little later in the article, Professor Mark Wooden of the University of Melbourne has spent his career studying Australia's working habits. Wooden said unskilled workers were more likely to work standard hours. He added they are also more unhappy about working increased hours. Listen to this bit. Long working hours are more pervasive in Australia than Europe, according to Wooden. If you go to a German university, he said, no one is there at 5 to 5.30 p.m. When we compare ourselves to Europeans, Australians are strivers. Why? Wooden threw his hands in the air. Australians want stuff. I think we're very materialistic. For most people, work, is, work adds an incredible, incredible amount of meaning in their lives, said Wooden. People's whole sense of being is based on it. You meet Australians in a social setting and it's, what do you do? You know that, right? Like, we all know that. That's not saying it's a bad thing, but a lot of the way that we relate to each other is, what do you do? Or, what are you doing? That's the first question. What's your name? It's Matt, what do you do? Ah, that's it. Like, that's... 
a very primary uh, connecting point. Le- what's the point? What am I trying to say? I'm trying to say that culturally work has become our meaning, that it has become one of the things that actually defines us, satisfies us, and gives us a sense of purpose. And I'm saying that's a bad thing. <laughs> like, look at the people at the top. Look at the people at the top of their fields in work. Look at the leading creatives or the executives. Do you think, like, does that really sound like the answer? Does that, like, do you look at them, do you go, well, they look like they've got it all together? L- look even further. Look at Solomon, who I'd suggest is pretty close to the top of the top. Uh, and, and what does he say? What does he say about it? You know, like, what, what do you think? He's, he's not going, oh, it's pretty good up here. You've got to work at it. Come on, like, get cracking. He's going, no, it's meaningless. It's a waste of time. It's vanity. And looking back at my life and I'm just going, dang, you know, what a waste. So I, I want to suggest that at the moment we relate to work poorly, that we actually allow it to define us and give us meaning when that's wrong. So I'm going to give you a biblical understanding. I'm hoping here to redefine work. What is work? What are we... How are we supposed to understand work? I want to suggest that work is a command and a curse. Read here in Genesis 2.15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So let me just clarify, work is a God-ordained thing. Some of you just going, dang it, you know, there's no escaping it. That's, it's his idea. Like, that was God's plan. Like, God, in, in a perfect world, so when you say, if you do those things, or you're in a perfect world, I'm on a yacht, like seven days a week. No, 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 in a perfect world, you are working. Like, oh, that's, that sucks. Some of you are going, that sucks. Yeah, probably, because you're probably finding your meaning in it. In a perfect world, you're working. In a, in a garden, all the horticulturists are going, amen. You know, but uh, in a perfect world, you are working. It's God's design that's god's plan that man would joyfully serve him by working the garden and keeping it let me take the model a bit further it's god's design if you look at the story of creation i'll actually show you a um one of the sections here if you look at each day when god created there's you can see some clear sections so if you look at he does the act of creating up the top you know he creates the the fish and the birds here and then he blesses them uh, and then at the end, he says, there was evening, not he says, but the text says, there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. You see that actually after each day of creation, he creates, he does the work, and then there was evening and there was morning the next day. He goes on. So he works hard for what appears to be about 12 hours a day. You know, the, the Jewish, in the, in the Old Testament, the Jews would understand it to be the work day was from sunset to sunrise. Like you had a few watches through the night. There were three watches. Uh, there was kind of like the sunset to um, late evening, evening to uh, early morning, and then morning to sunrise. But day was just the whole day. Like that was your work day. Uh, and, and the model there is for six days, right? Like Monday through Saturday or whatever day you'd consider that. The model is six days and then he rests for the Sabbath. What I want to draw out here is notice the crystal distinction and there was evening and there was morning the fifth day he works long and hard and then there is evening and what's he doing he's not working 
But that's it. He's, I've done my work. It's the evening. We're done with that. If you, if you actually read about the, the, the story of, of the Garden of Eden, what does he do in the evening? I'm going for a walk with Adam and Eve. I'm going for a walk with my family. Right? Isn't that a good model? God's going, I've worked hard. I've done my job. And now it's, I'm switching off. That's that. It's evening now. It's time to go for a walk with my family. I hope, I, I hope you've had those kind of moments when you're, when you're on holidays and you, you're whatever, late September, it's about 5.30 in the afternoon and you're on the beach and the breeze changes. You know that feeling? Like, you know, have you experienced the cool of the evening? That is a gorgeous time of the day, right? I'm going, don't ruin that with work. Like God, like he's onto something. There's a, there's a really good time there. So let me take it further. What, what's your point, Matt? Technology has afforded us the terrible opportunity to carry our burdens and our toil with us everywhere we go. On the toilet, in bed, at the dinner table with your family. You've got in your pocket now the temptation just nagging at you. Hey, something could go wrong. Hey, you better keep an eye, better keep an ear out. What if that project like collapses? What if your boss doesn't like your work? You, know, you, know, it, you have this nagging opportunity to, uh, to carry work with you everywhere you go. Men particularly learn some boundaries. Like work hard, like work really hard, but then, uh, then be with your family. Go walk, go spend some time with your family. Take them for a walk. Now you just go, look, chill out, Matt. <laughs> I'm really serious about this because I need to hear this as much as you do. This is, um, this is really challenging. Now some of you are saying, Look, don't be crazy, Matt. I'm too busy for that. You think you need to work harder than God does? Is that, is that what you think? You think that if you stop for a second that your world's going to fall apart? That, that, like, that, uh, that your whole world's going to come crashing down and things are going to go wrong? Just go on, don't, don't fool yourself. That's, that's not how it works. But a vapor. Your butt a vapor. So... Work hard, switch off. Let me, um, let me dig a bit more into um, this understanding of work and what work is. If you have a look at, um, no, I don't have it up there, but look at that same text. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. That word work there is abad. Um, the, the, the root word of, of work is abad. If you have a look right across the Old Testament, it's used about seven times as the word work. Most of the time, it's used as the word serve. So seven times, right across the Old Testament, it's, it's translated as work. Most of the time, 141 times, it's used as the word serve. So you can see that predominantly it's used as serve. It's also used as the word worship. So if you look at to work it and keep it, I hope you start to read that a little bit differently. God's plan for man was that man serve him through his work in the garden. Or, or let me take it further, that, that man would actually worship God through his work in the garden, right? So his work, your work in the garden will be your worship for me. Does that make sense? So it's not, it's not just, you can see, just, I'm starting to hint at a lot of meaning there. Like if you start to connect the dots, like we're already there. Your work is your worship. Let me give you an example of this. Uh, this is the same word here used in um, Deuteronomy. We're just struggling a bit. Jay, if you can... Um, now nah, we're good. So listen to this. That word there, 
And now Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all His ways, to love Him, to serve the Lord your God? That's the same word. That's work, right? With all your heart and with all your soul. So your work is your worship. So right in the beginning, God designed man to live in relationship with Him, for man to have dominion over the earth and His creation and to work it, and for those things to be His worship of God. Now, so work is your means of worshipping God. Do you see the contrast with Ecclesiastes? Like, you're just going, that's not what they say in Ecclesiastes. Like, that's a world apart, Malin. What are you talking about? Let me, um, let me draw the contrast out. In Genesis, you see man using work as a chance to worship God. So work is the means, right? Like, this, just, this is one of the things that I'm doing to worship God. There are a whole number of other things that I'm doing. This is one of them that I use to worship God. In Ecclesiastes, you see man using work as a chance to worship himself. <laughs> Make himself great under the sun. That's toiling under the sun. There's no notion of God here. This is all for me. I just want to be great. I just want people to respect me. I want people to admire me. Now let's get to sin. This is all work. This is pre-sin, right? This is in a perfect world. Work was designed for our good for us to joyfully serve God. We disobeyed God, sin entered the world and corrupted everything, including work and the nature of work. Genesis 3. Listen to the, listen to the curse that comes as a result of sin. Because you've listened to the voice of your wife and eat, eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. That's just great news. <laughs> you hear this? Yeah, yes. You know, so work was God's good command to us, but we rebelled against God and sin entered the world and just, just stuffed it right up. It just corrupted the whole nature of work in itself. So now, now work is a command and a curse, right? So was God's good command originally, but now it's become a curse because of sin. That's still God's command. God didn't change the plan. He's not like, oh, well, just, just do the little bit that you can and survive because it's going to be hard. It's still His command. He didn't change that. Work's going to cause you pain. In pain you shall eat of it. Work will last your lifetime, all the days of your life, and work will make you suffer by the sweat of your face. Now, let me say this. It's bad enough. Work is hard enough as it is without making it our meaning, without making it the source of our satisfaction. Like we turn a bad situation terrible when we attempt to find our meaning and our satisfaction in work. Do you, do you hear that? Like you're just going, just give it a break, man. Like that, is, that whole thing, that's messy enough as it is, let alone you trying to attach your meaning to it. You're just asking for trouble. Let me give you some hope. I've got four applications from Ecclesiastes for work. Starting in uh, verse 22 there. What is a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow and his work is a vexation. Even in the night, his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. He's going, the days are bad enough, man. They are full of sorrow. But even at night, you just cannot get some sleep because you're toiling. 
I want to suggest that the, one of the biggest transitions we need to make w- with regard to work is the transition from objectives to relationship. When we, um, when we define ourselves by our work, an objective or, or, or result, we are bound to be disappointed. But when we define ourselves by God's calling to us, to be a faithful steward and to love and to serve Him, to honor and worship Him with our work, we will never be let down when circumstances change. I said that quite quickly, but let me illustrate this. If you're, if you're all about objectives and you lose your job, you're stuffed, right? Like my objective here is to keep my job. You lose your job, what? you failed. Like that's it, game over. Like poo-hoo man, your life sucks. You lost your job, right? If, uh, if, your, if your life is all about objectives and, uh, and you retire... You know, like if your meaning is in your work, you, you can't retire. Like you retire and you've got to find something else to do. You've got to pester your kids. I just need to be doing something, right? If I'm finding my meaning in my work, then I'm just going to, it's going to be relentless. But if your meaning is in your relationship and God's calling to you, you lose your job. Cool. What's next? You know, like that's it. That's, that's all right. Like that wasn't, you think that was my world? No, no, no. That wasn't my world. Like that was one of the ways that I worshiped. God, you quickly fall into trouble when work becomes all about an objective. I just need this promotion. I just need this pay rise. I just need to finish this project or I just need to impress this client or or win this new business or climb a couple more rungs of the corporate ladder. If you make your objective most important, like finishing a project, for example then it makes complete sense for you to burn the candle and stretch relationships to breaking point and make your family suffer so you can complete your objective. Like if that's the thing that matters, it makes complete sense for things to suffer so that your objective can be complete. But let me ask you, is that all your life is? Is that it? Don't rob yourself. Seriously, life your work, your life is about your worship of God, not your objectives, not your five-year plan. That's not it. There's no meaning there. Let's just do a quick reflection. Look back at the last week. What is your work saying about you right now? Like what, if you look at your week and you look at the relationships you've got at your work and the things that you're doing, your projects and your, your own Uh, work attitude what does it say about you are you valuing objectives over your relationship with God like are you what's most important to you let me apply this for you a little bit how do you think your mornings would change if you valued relationships over objectives what do you how do you think it's going to look differently just think about the first thing you do when you wake up and you kind of got like three seconds of quietness and that's it like your day comes crushing in on you. You know, you're just going in your head, you've got, oh, I've got some people to talk to, objectives. I've got some jobs to do, objectives. I've got um, some, uh, some tasks to check off. You know, I've got meetings to attend. It's just objectives are going to come crushing in on you. C.S. Lewis says it well. He says it like this. He says it comes the very moment you wake up each morning. All your wishes and hopes for the day rush at you like wild animals. And the first job each morning consists simply in shoving them all back 
in listening to that other voice, taking that other point of view, letting that other larger, stronger, quieter life come flowing in, and so on all day, standing back from all your natural fussings and frettings coming in out of the wind. If relationship, like if that's the priority, how do you think you're going to start your morning? Like you're, you're going to quiet your mind, aren't you? It's going to be like, look, Matt, look, just pipe down for a sec, would you? We've got some more important things to focus on right now. How, how do you think your nights would change? Hear that, um, hear that verse there. It says, even in the night, his heart does not rest. Have you experienced, like I've experienced that. Have you experienced that? Like there are pressures and there are stresses and there are uh, like relationships that are testing me. I'm just going, I can't sleep. Like this is consuming me. Like it's pulling me in different directions. I'm just like, I'm, I've got a couple of horses on each side of me and I'm holding the reins. I'm just going, oh look, I'm splitting in half. Fancy that. Like that's nice. No, it's terrible. It's really, really ruthless. If you're driven by objectives, you're going to be kept awake at night. Like you're going to have trouble sleeping, right? Your objectives at this point are restricting your worship of God and your ability to rest in Him. I hope you can just see um, work idolatry just kind of humming along in the background, can't you? Just kind of like, oh, that's my God. I need to satisfy it. So I'm just going to burn up satisfying that. What does relationship look like? Just to finish off this point, relationship looks like an active trust, a, a, a present mindedness, a longing to walk with God through each day. It's waking up and it's asking, God, what are you up to today? I just, I just need it. I just need to hear you. I just really want to walk with you today. What are you doing? Help me see it. Now listen, it doesn't necessarily mean you are doing less. It doesn't mean, oh, work's bad. Just, just go have a relationship with God. No, 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 no. For some of you, it may mean that. For some of you, it may mean you need to put some boundaries in place. But for some of you, it may just mean it's actually the manner in which you work changes, right? Like it's different. It's quiet. It's grounded. It's discerning. It's stopping and listening to people. It's valuing people. It's not using them. It's creating boundaries. It's guarding time with family, right? The manner in which you work is actually differently because your priorities have changed. Right, next, I, I want to suggest another encouragement is that you can have contentment amidst covetousness. Read this, um, verse 24. I'm just terrible with the remote today. All right, verse 24, There is nothing better for a person that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? Let me paraphrase that. The best thing a man can do is eat and drink and enjoy his work knowing well that it's a gift from God. Like, let me just point it out. Apart from him, that is the kicker. Like this whole, that whole two verses, that's all centered around apart from him, right? Like if you didn't have that, you'd just be like, oh, the best thing that I could do is just eat and drink and enjoy my work. Cool. No, no, he's going, for apart from God, you can't have any enjoyment. Like outside of God, there's nothing. Like have, good luck. Like have a go. It's not going to work. It's meaningless. Apart from God, there is no enjoyment. He's just kind of like, I'm just clearing it up for you. I've been there and it's, it's bad. Like it's bad news. 
no one. We were designed to be satisfied in God and for everything to flow out of that relationship. Our, our enjoyment of work and food and drink, they stem from that relationship and they're actually enhanced by it. Satisfaction in God gives us contentment in our work. Are you not happy with your work at the moment? Get God. Get, get God. Don't worry about your job right now. Like, don't worry about that. Start with God and work backwards because you're going to find a lot changes when you're actually satisfied and content in God. Because what, what are you doing? Like, isn't that the refrain of Ecclesiastes? He's just going, there's no meaning there. There's no meaning there. There's no me- if you're not content with your job right now, it could, look, it could be something else, but there's a good chance it's because you're not satisfied in God, right? Because you're trying to, you're asking your job to satisfy you. Could you please me? Could you satisfy? Can I find my meaning in you, please? And your job's going, yeah, good luck. Like, I'm an em- like there's nothing in this vessel. I'm an empty vessel. You're going, oh, can I, like, is there something? I just want to drink. It could be that you're not satisfied in God three ways that that may change your work satisfaction in god will allow you to be faithful in seemingly fruitless work if you're satisfied in god your relationship changes this work is not my savior like i'm free from serving work you know i'm free to be diligent and faithful and and, and persistent and passionate about that because i'm not asking my work to satisfy me i'm not demanding something that i shouldn't be from my work Second thing, satisfaction in God will drive you to work really hard. If your work is your worship, the question you're asking is, how can I honor God best? You're not going like, what are, what's the least, the least path of resistance today? You're not doing that. You're not just going and just going, if I just do this tiny little thing and this thing, the boss will kind of hit, like, he'll let it pass and then I'm good. You're not doing that. You're going, how can I best honor God today? What are we up to? What are we doing? How can I be a good steward of that? The last thing, satisfaction in God will guard you against covetousness. You know, I hope you, I hope you hear those temptations to climb the ladder and you want some money, you want power, you want status, you want authority and awards and titles. What do you say to that? You're going, I've already got everything I ever wanted. Like, that's nice, thanks, that's great, but I'm good. Like, I'm satisfied already. I'm not asking you to satisfy me. If I was, I'd probably be digging pretty hard for a promotion. Now, you're not saying no to the promotion, but you're going, how can I honor God more through that promotion? Because you're not getting your meaning from it. Your satisfaction in Christ is drowning out the cry of covetousness. So you're not looking at your workmates and just going, how can I pip him? Like, what am I doing to get in front of him? Or your competitors or your, your, your attitude to work changes. Third thing, you're working to please God. Verse 26 says this, But to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting, only to give to one who pleases God. This also is vanity and a striving after wind what does that sound like to you Can anyone kind of see any similarities to anything new testament what does it sound like the one who pleases god gets wisdom and knowledge and joy the one who doesn't please god 
doesn't get anything, but God actually takes what he has and gives it to the other one. You hearing me? That's the parable of the talents, right? Like, you know this story? Like, uh, the master gives three servants talents. He gives them five, two, and one, respectively. He goes away, and the two, the, the, the two servants with uh, five and two talents, they just get to work. They're just going, yep, let's hook in, and they, they double their talents. So the one that had five had ten, and the one that had two had four. And the last one just goes... Uh, better not do really do too much. I'm just worried that I might stuff it up or misuse it or, or improperly handle these talents. So I'm just going to bury them so at least he'll have a talent when he gets back. And what does he say? To the first two, he says, well done, good and faithful servant. Listen to, listen to what he says here to the last one. But his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I could have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has 10 talents. For to everyone who has will more be given and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Like, I hope that stops you in your tracks a bit, right? Like, let that be a caution. <laughs> Just going, all right, let's have, a, let's have a quick look. What talents has God given me? What, what relationships has He given me? What opportunities has He given me? What gifts and abilities do I have? And how can I work hard to please God with them? Let that be a caution. The question is, though, what does it mean to please God? What, what does that actually mean? And in this context, what does that story go on to say? The story actually goes on after the parable to talk about Judgment Day and, that, and where God actually separates the goats from the sheep and, and He separates them based on the way they cared for others. Now, that's kind of like, what? Like, what's that all about? I hope that catches you off, off guard because that caught me off guard. So the thing, the way that you, one of the ways that you please God is that you cared for people around you, right? So when God, you know, when you give account for your life, God's going to ask, what did you do for the least of these? So, you know, did you give them food? Did you give them drink? Did you give them shelter, clothes, comfort, and, and uh, company? That's what the, the story talks about. So your work isn't primarily about building up your own kingdom, right? Like my wealth my status, my power, your work is actually about building up and encouraging the people around you, right? Like empowering them, particularly those in need. I hope that catches you off guard, right? That's, that's like a bit of a left hook. Lastly, oh, there you go. Last thing I want to draw out is from a little further on in Ecclesiastes. It's uh, Ecclesiastes 9. It was just too good to leave out. Ecclesiastes 9.10 says, just Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. For there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol to which, or Sheol to which you are going. Uh, let me just clarify, Sheol there, that's not hell. There's a, a small handful of times in the Bible where it's translated as hell. Most of the time it means death. So what he's saying 
is he's going, whatever your hand finds you to do, do it with your might, because this is it. Like, this is your chance. Like, this is, if your work is your worship, get, get like, get cracking, because this is it. Like, today, tomorrow, like, you're not waiting until you're older or until things, or you got a better job or things look better. You're just going, right now, whatever your hand finds to do, do it really well. If your work is your worship to God and, and the response to being satisfied in Him, that should look pretty extravagant, shouldn't it? Like if your work is your way of saying, thank you, God, that should look pretty good, right? Like that should look really good. So if you're working as a cashier at Coles or washing dogs or growing vegetables on a farm or mothering kids or running a company or in a science lab whatever you're doing just do it well like you're not waiting to get somewhere else before your work well you're going now this right here you're going to give account for this like today and this job this week so you're not just going oh i just got to get through this job and get through uni and get through this and when they're older no no right here right now give it everything you got because that's that's your opportunity so when you're satisfied, when you, when you attempt to find your satisfaction in your job, you suck the life out of it. But when you're satisfied in Christ and you find your meaning in His work on the cross, you turn to work as a, meaning, sorry, as a means of worshipping Him. So you're working well and you're working faithfully and passionately and honestly and honorably. Yes, work is a burden. Like, don't get me wrong. That is very clear. Work is a burden but it doesn't define you. It doesn't keep you up at night. It doesn't shape the patterns of your life. Christians should be the hardest workers, you know, the, the thought leaders, the, the culture setters on how to work well, how to be trustworthy and honest and passionate workers. Let me finish with this. The answer to... The answer for toil under the sun is toiling for Christ, the lasting treasure. I hope that Ecclesiastes kind of makes you stop and ask yourself, I, I don't want my work to be in vain. Like, I don't want to, to get to the end of my life and look back and say, what a waste. Like, isn't that a tragedy? Like, don't you hear that? And you just go, that sucks. Like, that mega, mega, mega sucks. I don't want that to be me. The answer to that is, is toiling for Christ, right? Like, it's not about toiling under the sun it's about toiling for christ the lasting treasure christ was and is the perfect worker remember those three points working from relationship over objective he always worked from relationship you remember those moments in the gospels where he got up early before anyone else just to go and pray and just to go listen to his dad he's just i'm just listening and following you dad what are you up to today what are you what are you thinking what are you doing He's not about an objective. He's actually about a relationship. He also works to please his father. Jesus worked to please his father. He says in John, I came not to do my own will. Like I'm not here for my own will, but to do the will of the one who sent me. So Christ worked to please God. And lastly, he is the model of perfect contentment. Look at the story of Jesus, right? Like he went from the top rung in heaven like like you don't get any higher to like do you get any lower than a baby in a feeding trough like do you get any lower than that 
Like he went right to the bottom. Maybe you do. Maybe lower than that is willingly going to the cross to be humiliated and mocked and spit on and, and, and beaten up and ultimately crucified for our satisfaction in God. Christ went to work so you can be restored to relationship with God the Father. By God's grace, you see that and that changes the way you work. And you say the same thing that Solomon said. All this work, that is meaningless. All of this, all of this toil under the sun, all of this striving for my own kingdom, what a waste. Let my life not be a waste, but let it be an act of worship. Let it, let it cry, the same cry that the angels cry who stand around the throne and they say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Let my work say that. May God be blessed from my work. May it be a good use of my talents. And by God's grace, work has meaning again. It's not in vain. You're storing up treasures in heaven. That's what your work's doing, right? You're, you are joining with the angels in your work, declaring God's goodness, and you're storing up treasure in heaven. Let me pray. Lord, I just ask now that you help us to see. Help us to see the way that uh, it's the everyday things that we do. It's the day-to-day things that we do that are our, uh, our worship, our declaration of glory. So help us first to be satisfied in you. I just hear my own heart going, how, how, like help, help me be satisfied in God because I don't see it. Help me to see that and be satisfied in you and for my work to be a response. I'm just responding to God and His goodness. Thank you that work is your good plan and, uh, and, and it's twisted. So help us to kind of live in that tension. Amen.